We'll now... Uh, The scripture reading this morning is taken from two passages. The first is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The second passage is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 3 to 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's just another Sunday morning. You get up a little later, not having to rush. It's the day for church. Before COVID, you know, you still had some kind of uh, morning routine to get through so that you could get up for church and get your kids ready, have breakfast and all of that. But during COVID, for most of us, we can take our time waking up, still being in our pajamas and go to church virtually, which is how all of you are participating in church now. For some of us, though, we still have to get up for church, and it's the only time in the week where we get to wear some decent clothing. You know, Sam can't live on sweatpants forever or alone. I, we, need, we do need to dress up once in a while. And when was the last time that you were able to dress up? Anyways, this is a similar scene we have in this story today. Jesus on the Sabbath is at a synagogue where he began to preach. Nothing out of the ordinary, but a regular Sunday morning. It is at this worship gathering that this man Jesus speaks to the people of the synagogue. The synagogue originated during the time of exile as a result of the Jews uh, meeting together to pray and to study the Torah because they couldn't go to the temple. And it was something that has endured since then. And Jesus used this thing called the freedom of the, the synagogue, which was a Jewish custom 
that allowed recognized visiting teachers to preach based on the reading of the law or the prophets like we do on a Sunday morning. It was by the invitation of his leaders to bring the good news to their country folk. So it's in this context, as a guest preacher, Jesus the, preaches and teaches to the congregation of Capernaum. And yet something different happens from this guest speaker. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The people were amazed and astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Why? He taught them as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. Now, what does that mean? The teachers of the law, who are like seminary professors of our equivalent or, or pastors, did what every good teacher did. They quoted and referred to other teachers and rabbis. Rabbi so-and-so said this, and this teacher said that. They referred to the authority of others. This is just good referencing for those who have to write papers still. Or it's a way to give credit to a person's idea, which is what we do. If we don't, it's considered plagiarism. But Jesus did things differently. What did he do? He spoke as someone with authority. It doesn't mean necessarily, necessarily that Jesus spoke with charisma or with passion, yelling and pumping his fists. I don't think that speaking with authority was about his oratory skills, but it was more about what he said versus how he said it. We're not told in the story what he said, but we can look to other accounts in the Gospels where he did speak and teach. So the Sermon on the Mount is a good, good example. Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. People are astonished by this new teaching of Jesus. Jesus taught with authority, not relying on the authority of some other rabbi, but he spoke as though he himself was giving them this teaching, as if this man Jesus had authority of his very own. And as a part of the Sermon on the Mount that we heard today, Jesus would go on to say this phrase. He would say, say you have heard it said, you know, you have heard it said by this rabbi or by this teacher of the law. So verse 21 in Matthew 5, you have heard it said that you shouldn't murder. Well, if you have hate in your heart, you've already committed murder. Verse 27, if you have, you have heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. But if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Verse 38, you've heard it said from this rabbi, that eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, but instead turn the other cheek when someone slaps you. Matthew 5, verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
It was this kind of teaching by Jesus that had people in the synagogues amazed at what was being said. Mark is showing Jesus as someone more than just another good rabbi or teacher, but has the authority to speak for himself. Mark explains that while Jesus was teaching with this authority, that there was a man with an impure spirit who cried out this to Jesus. Verse 24 in Mark, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a streak. In this scene, we see Jesus having a confrontation with an impure spirit. And the impure spirit asks a weird question. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. According to a commentator, to a rabbi, the utterance of the name of Jesus and his title, the Holy One of God, may have been an attempt by the demon to get control over Jesus. Since it was widely believed at that time that if you knew a person's true identity and could utter, utter his name, you gain a magic power over him. Nineham, page 75. And isn't this true? The most simple example of this is when someone calls somebody by their name. If I say Mike, guess what? Mike will look up and wave at me, which he just did. I have the power to call someone by their name, and it will gain their attention. You could almost summon, some, summon someone by the knowledge of their name. I had a friend who I grew up with since grade 8, and in grade 9, we went to the same high school. We were in, the middle, in middle school together and went to the same high school. And when we went to this new high school, he decided to change his name. He was known by his Chinese name uh, when I knew him in grade 8. But, you know, going into grade 9, you're trying to kind of recreate yourself and you want to, whatever his reasons may have been, so he changed his name to an English name. And so people would call him by that name. And from grade 9 until now, people know him by his English name. The thing is, I can never call him by his English name because I know I knew him before he changed his name. So whenever someone would say his name to me, I would know something about that person. What I would know is that that person doesn't know my friend as well as I do. See, I knew him before he changed his name. So I know him better than this other person who knows him by his English name. And when we know somebody, when we think we know somebody really well, like we really know them, there's a sense that we have some kind of at least in with them, right? Whether, you know, whether or not we call it power or influence, we know them better than someone else. So if someone else comes and says, oh yeah, I know this person, I'm friends with them, you could say if you really know this person, well, yeah, you're friends with them, you may know them a little bit, but you don't really know them. You don't know them the way I know them. They haven't opened up their deepest uh, secrets to you, their pains, their hurts. You don't know them like I know them. 
So when the demon tries to name who Jesus is, and remember, and here he says Jesus of Nazareth, like where he came from, it wasn't a way of the demon recognizing Jesus for who he was. It wasn't a way of saying, yes, you are the son of God. Rather, it was a way of controlling Jesus. It was a way of trying to have power over Jesus. So that's why Jesus tells him to be quiet and to come out of this man. And this is why they respond, the congregation, the people around them seeing this, saying, what is this? A new teaching and with such authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. In this story, Mark is trying to show how Jesus was not like the other rabbis or teachers. Jesus is someone different. He is not just another great rabbi. He is different because he teaches with a different kind of authority. And to the point that even the demons listen to him. And this is the point that Mark is making here. Jesus is more than a rabbi. He is the son of God. So what does this passage mean for us as we see this interaction of Jesus with the people who are at a Sunday worship gathering. There are two things that I want to draw your attention to. The first thing is that people were amazed. They were astonished by this person of Jesus. So the word here, I forgot what the Greek word was, uh, for amazed isn't the sense of like, wow, look at this amazing teacher of the being awestruck, but it had a, a negative connotation. It meant more like, oh my goodness, like I'm feeling a little bit disturbed, a little worried about this person who is able to cast demons out. And what was his teaching? What was he saying? He was saying, I need to turn the other cheek. I need to love my enemies. Like, why would I want to do that? Someone coming around teaching me that I need to turn the other cheek, to me, is disturbing. It's not a sense of amazement. It's more of a sense of disturbance. Another way to put it is that the Son of God disturbed the church people. The Son of God disturbed the religious people meeting at a church worship gathering. The second thing I want us to look at is the way the demon tried to have power over Jesus. One commentator or rabbi says that the response of the demon-possessed man isn't just the response by the demon, but in this congregational you know, um, synagogue setting is actually speaking the perspective of the congregation. See, when I was reading this, when, when I've read it in the past, and even t this week while I was preparing, I never put myself in the position of the demon. I've always put myself in the position of one of the congregants listening to Jesus. But when we place ourselves in the position of the demon, and I, you know, we think, why would we ever do that? Because we, we're not demon-possessed. We wouldn't think that way. But listen to the response by the demon. When you look at the response by the demon, I quickly came to realize that this is true of me. See, they were disturbed by this Jesus who taught with authority and were teaching things 
that would have rocked their understanding of what it meant to be a religious person. Loving my enemies and praying for them? No way, Jesus. Don't try to change me. Don't try to make me give up a part of myself. That would hurt too much. It would mean too much uh, for me to change. It means letting go of things that I'm not ready to. When we are faced with Jesus, the Son of God, what is our response to him? Do we acknowledge who he is and submit to him? Or do we, like the demon, want to possess him? Do we want the real Jesus or are we happy with a good moral teacher? C.S. Lewis, when he talks about Jesus as a good moral teacher, says that there's only three logical responses that we can have uh, to the person of Jesus. One is, he's a liar. Second, he's a lunatic. Or third, he is Lord. Why is he a liar? Well, because he was claiming that he was the son of God. So either he was lying that he was the son of God, because only a liar would say that, or he was a lunatic, he was crazy, because only crazy people would say, I am the son of God. Or lastly, he was telling the truth. But what we can't say about Jesus was that he was a good moral teacher. But we like to put Jesus in a good moral teacher box, right? Or in a box like this that has a dancing Jesus. Because we rather have Jesus in this comfortable dancing Jesus, Jesus who will dance for me and do things the way I want things done, than to accept Jesus as who he says he is. And the reason why we didn't want to take this out of the box, because, you know, then we would lose the value of this figuring Jesus, so we decided to keep it in the box. Um, and it was, you know, someone within our church who uh, lent this to us, so we didn't want to, you know, mess with that value. <laughs> but that's what we do. We, we pick and choose what we like about Jesus, right? It's, we, we rather have him as this comfortable Jesus who we can choose, pick and choose the, the teachings that we like to listen to, We can pick and choose the sermons we we like. We can pick and choose the music that suits our needs. We can pick and choose the church that fits our version of Jesus. If we're honest, we want Jesus to become some nice, comfy teddy bear for us. We want to make him soft and squishy. Make us feel comfortable, Jesus. Make us be good moral people, Jesus. But let us do what we want when we want it. But this isn't who Jesus is. He is God incarnate, fully God and fully human. Jesus didn't come to make us feel good about ourselves. He came to disturb the human condition. He has come to wake us up from our slumber, from our desire for power and control of ourselves, control over others, and even our control over God. We, like the impure spirit, are scared of what it would mean for us to really know Jesus. What part of me would he destroy that I'm scared of letting go because I'm so attached to it? Henry Nouwen, who you have heard me talk about a lot, and it's, it's because I'm doing my thesis on him, uh, 
was a professor at Harvard Divinity uh, School. And he left it all behind and felt called to serve in a community, community with those who had severe mental and physical disabilities. And him reflecting on his own experience of leaving a place of power and prestige, he wrote a book about leadership and power. Uh, this book is called In the Name of Jesus. And in one of the sections where he's talking about power, says this says this about why it's easier to want power than love. He says, it seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. This is so true, isn't it? We want to hold on to power. We want to hold on to control to be our own God. When we love God and when we love others, it means to let go and be vulnerable because it can mean that that person can hurt us. That person may not love us back. So it's easier, it's better if I could just control these people. Then I don't have to ever worry about getting hurt. How do we use the name of Jesus to control Jesus versus letting him lead us? Throughout the Christian church history, we have used the name of Jesus as a way to gain more power and control. There's also been times where we've used the name of Jesus for good, but there's been a lot of times where we have used it for evil. And it was never in those cases, never about doing the will of God, but rather using the name of Jesus as a way to control God and to control others. How do we use the name of Jesus in our lives or the person of Jesus, where it does becomes a way, become a way of us having God do things for us versus letting Jesus disturb our inner demons. So as we worship Jesus in our comfortable pajamas, I invite you into this story of Jesus. I invite you into the person of Jesus and let him disturb you a little bit or even a lot. Not in the sense of making us anxious or defensive, but to be open to the reality that when we are faced with this Jesus, he is asking and demanding our, for our love, us to accept him as he, who he is, more than just as a good moral teacher. He is God incarnate. When we are faced with this Jesus, how will we respond Will we be like the impure spirit trying to control Jesus? Or will we let him lead us and love us? Let us pray. Jesus, we are so afraid. We are so afraid to let you into our lives. We're so afraid to to look at ourselves and to imagine what it would mean for you to, to come and enter into the deepest places of our hearts. Because we ourselves do not like what is, it, what is in there. We ourselves are scared and worried of what you would do to us. But Jesus, you love us. 
you call us your beloved, not for who we could be, not for when we are in our best uh, version of ourselves, but when we're home in our pajamas with COVID hair and, and, and the rest, you love us just as we are when we're not at our best and you call us your beloved. Jesus, help us to let go of those fears and to believe and to claim your love for us. And I pray as we claim our love by you, for who we are as your beloved sons and daughters, that we would share that same kind of love with others. A love that is not overpowering, a love that sacrifices, that desires the, the betterment of the other. A love that will turn the other cheek, the love that would love our enemies a love that goes beyond our understanding. Thank you, Jesus, that you are bigger than what we can imagine and hope for. And uh, I pray for more clarity, more awareness of the times in which we try to control you. And we want to live in that truth that you love us. Thank you. In your awesome name we pray. Jesus, amen.